When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Nebraska Public Media Sports brings you live coverage of the Girls and Boys NSAA High School Soccer Championships from Morrison Stadium at Creighton University. Monday, May 13th, see Class B girls at 8.30 p.m. Central and Class A girls at 8 p.m. Central on Nebraska Public Media. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Hurt at Sports Radio. It is my great pleasure to announce that the 2023 Heisman Trophy winner is Jaden Daniels from Louisiana State University. Low snap to Lavatai Army bringing pressure. Fortner forced the fumble. He recovers it at the 40-yard line, and he's going to take it in for the touchdown. Caleb Fortner. The strip sack, the recovery, the 40-yard return, and this place is going wild. They fake it to him. Now they screen it to him. All sorts of running room and blockers in front. He's flying to the 30, the 20, the 10, cuts back, makes a man miss at the 5. Touchdown, Bengals. Chase Brown showing his speed. Russ takes the snap, looks to his left, now looks to his right. Forever to throw the ball. Steps up, now throws a deep ball. He wants Cortland Sutton in the end zone. Cortland goes up and makes the catch. Touchdown, Denver. Long kick, plenty of leg. What a great call by Mike McCarthy. Just as everyone said he should do, he sends in Aubrey for a 60-yard field goal, and Dallas leads 10-0. They send Debo inside of Brandon Ayuk right, Kittle inside of Jawan Jennings left, and McCaffrey goes in motion, that bumper motion out right. Blitz from Bobby Wagner, they pick it up. Deep shot, Brock Purdy's going downfield for Debo! Touchdown! San Francisco! Good morning. Welcome in on a Monday to Hurt at Sports Radio. I'm Ravi Lula. Andrew Rogers here with me. Hey, man. We're live on AM590, ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities, as well as YouTube and Twitter. You can join us on the video stream there. Welcome into another week. I like, you know, I like some of those highlights, getting a little 49ers highlights in there, making me feel good, getting the week started off right. Uh, do you realize... San Francisco. Do you realize the Bears are like one game? They're out not of the playoff spot. Bad. <laughs> like they're not bad. I was actually thinking about that on the way in because Justin Fields is my fantasy quarterback. And You're welcome. 
I mean, listen, he's pretty solid, to be honest. And In fantasy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's, I love those QB rushers. Uh, but but I'm, I'm kind of watching the Bears, and the last few weeks, I'm like, hey, they're actually not playing bad. And then yeah, maybe the, that Montez Sweat signing yeah, or, or trade, rather, that's will a, pay I was, off. I was thinking about that. I was like, not that long ago, we were talking to each other, just asking, what are they doing? What like why on earth would you trade for a guy that doesn't fit your window at all? Because you don't know what your window is yet, and all of a sudden, they're a game out of second place, two games mm-hmm. out of second place yep. in their division. And if the Raiders, Shane, would have scored at least a point this weekend, any points at all, maybe <laughs> any points, at they'd all. be even in better shape because the Vikings would not have seven wins. Yeah, well, they don't have Sebastian Janikowski anymore, so they 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 can't have the standard. You know, three three field goals, so that they didn't get any points because of that. Three to zero. That's not good. The first point was scored <laughs> under the two minute warning, Robbie. I was kind of just scrolling through scores to see what I missed yesterday, and I go, "Wait, what? 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 Yeah, it's a baseball score. What happened? I I was. I'm glad I didn't spend any time watching that game. I saw enough of those in the Big Ten West this year, but. My goodness, you're Raiders, bud. Like, what, what is happening? Like, Shane, you're Raiders. Woof. Is this that, is this that moment where I can be passionate? Yep, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking before the show about what you can and can't say when you're passionate, so that's why that joke comes up. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a little behind. Which, speaking of passion, Patrick Mahomes was passionate apparently about the wrong thing yesterday. I just, okay, so I probably hold Mahomes to a different standard because of who he is, right? We kind of hold these these high-end, elite, kind of face-of-the-league of the quarterbacks to a different standard. We hold them to the Brady standard, to the Manning standard, where I just need you to not complain about clearly correct calls. And listen, I get that what I think happened, the, the most generous explanation, I think, of what happened is that Patrick Mahomes has been so frustrated with his team all year, specifically the receivers, because of all the drops and all the the inability to get open and all this stuff, right, that I think it just boiled over in that moment because he knows that that was the right call. He knows the guy was offside, right? Like, it was literally the ref's response was, yeah, usually we do give a warning, but we couldn't even see the ball. He was so far offside, so we went ahead and just called it. Like, that was their actual explanation and so I Patrick Mahomes has to know this and I think he's just been so frustrated and will not throw his teammates under the bus which I appreciate that he ended up lashing out at the refs in a situation where it's a terrible look like you can't blame the refs for that loss that's on you guys well so Tony did he not acknowledge where he was like I ask this question all the time when this penalty gets called. Did you not look over to the sideline and give the thumb and up? It doesn't look like he did. And so he lines up and looks like he's just dead ahead the whole time. First off, you you don't make you don't make eye contact with the official and say, "Hey, am I good?" The second thing is, how do you not know that you're on top of the football? Yeah. Like you are right there on yeah. the line of scrimmage. Like you can look over and be like, "Oh, I probably should take I a might, half step back." Yeah, I might be a little aggressive here in my lineup. What are you what are you looking at? Are you just looking at Mahomes the whole time and you just think because it's muscle memory where you line up you you're you're good I you know that that to me was a little mind-boggling but 
we wouldn't be in the spot today, or, or Mahomes wouldn't even be arguing that, mm-hmm. if it didn't result in a touchdown or in it result in one of like a cool looking play a spectacular where, where Travis to be Kelsey fair. ditches the ball back to Tony and he runs it in for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. But the Chiefs were at a point in that game too where they're playing a good Buffalo team. Mm-hmm. Like despite the record, they're still a good yeah, Buffalo team. One of team. the most talented teams in the league. It's one of those games that has some deep-rooted rivalries, at least as of late, mm-hmm. because these are two teams that always match up in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So th- this is a game that you want to win so badly that in turn can lead you to lash out on things that you probably would stay at home about more. Yeah. And so <laughs> all that being said, if I'm Patrick Mahomes, like, yes, you can, like, be frustrated about it, but you got to quit. You got to quit complaining about the little things until it, it, it's time to talk about them. And so what I mean by that is when the game's over and you're going to shake Josh Allen's hand, how about you stop? Like, Josh Allen does not care that that penalty was called against you. Oh. He does not care. And you're going up and saying, like, that was effing bullshit, this, that, and the other. Like, what do you mean? Yeah, I, I don't know. I To me, it's just a cheap, cheap look with somebody that talented who's won that many games that – you really – and that's why I think it's about something else. You know, a lot of times you see people lash out about something and you're like, what's happening there? I don't understand. And that's why I think it's about the season as a whole, about his receivers as a whole, about everything that's been going on this year that's been frustrating to him because, okay, it's, this is one call in one game, and yes, it ended in a spectacular touchdown, but it's not like it was the last play of the game. They had time left. This was a – situation where they put themselves in this spot. The only reason they're in this spot is because of the big thing, kind of going to what you're talking about. Until they fix some of the big things that are wrong with them, you kind of got to miss me with the little stuff that you're complaining about, especially when it wasn't a bad call. Like, I get it's a call that you don't like to see called if you're Patrick Nor does it get called all the time. But, but also, how, how often are you lining up offside? That's the thing is how often is somebody – how often is a receiver lined as far offsides as Tony was in that situation? Not very often. And so, I mean, I think I, I, think I heard a, uh, on some commentary that it was – it's been called 11 times this year. It's not like it's never got called. Like that's a little less than once a week. So not a ton. But also, that's probably the most egregious instance of it that we've seen all year. The only reason anybody actually cares is because that specific play ended in a touchdown and a rather spectacular touchdown at that. It is uh, – it's beneath Patrick Mahomes to act this way, though, because it's not that, just that he was mad about the call. He had a full-blown meltdown on, on, the sideline. on the sideline. Like, game is still happening – just a full guys holding him back. Full, yeah, I thought he was gonna try. Like, was he gonna hit a ref? Like, what do you like? What's your end game there, at man? At first, I thought he was yelling at the fans. I didn't know who he was yelling at until I like kind of figured out more context of like what was happening because it was a little bit after the play. And so I'm, I'm just watching. It's like what ha- what are you trying to prove here? Like, what is your end goal? If nobody holds you back, are you gonna go get nose to nose with a ref? How's that gonna end? Like, what what's the plan here, big guy? And I just, I didn't, it's such a bad look to throw a full-blown temper tantrum on the sideline 
over a correct call, by the way. Mm-hmm. It's not even like the – because sometimes I'll give a little bit of a pass when it's like, uh, that, that was pretty bad. When you get one of those calls, one of those pass interference calls that you're like, uh, I, don't, I don't know about that big guy, which is, by the way, a subjective call. This call was pretty cut and dry, mm-hmm. like black and white. Like the dude was lined yeah, he up. About, he had about 10 seconds to make up his mind if he was going to throw the flag or not because that's how long the play clock yeah. was. Well, and as he it's was ticking just down, you're just looking there. at Tony like, are, are you going to move back? Are you going to stay gonna, there? Are you going to check with me at all? Like what's happening here? And, Cadon- and, and Tony's just like, yep, we're good to go. It's like, no, you're really not, bud. So I, I just – if I expect more from Patrick Mahomes. And maybe that's not fair. But I, to be fair, I think I expect more from just most adults in any situation not to have a full-blown tantrum in that, you know, in that spot. So I don't, I don't think that's asking a ton. Well, that, I just know that based on how he was reacting in that moment, there, there's some deep-rooted frustration that has just kind of been sitting there for a long time, and it was just waiting to boil over. Yeah. And that was his boil-over moment. Yeah, that, that was— he'll, he'll, come, he'll come back to earth— Today, I, I hope so. <laughs> he'll he'll come back to earth today. He'll yeah. let it go. He'll move on because that's he's a player. Yeah, and you know sometimes as a player, when you're frustrated, you lash out, as I already said, but then you let it go, and you'll see Mahomes let it go because his personality is is not what we saw. No, in the last minute. Now, did he go too far? I think so. When I say he went too far, Josh Allen doesn't care. Shake the dude's hand, walk off, and then complain about it when you get to the podium. But Josh Allen's shaking your hand, and, and you're just going to, like, complain about the call? What, do you th- what is Josh supposed to say? He just kind of, like, looked at him and then walked off. Yeah, like, because cool. it's like, well, no, it, it benefited us. Why would I agree with you that that is not what should have been called in the moment? It, to me, it's a little ridiculous um, but again, it wouldn't have been a big deal if it didn't result in a cool play. It, it, it would, yeah. It, like, whatever anybody else thinks out there, mm-hmm. if you're out there tweeting, like, oh, you know, miss me with the Chiefs get every call, and oh, miss me with uh, this is something that should have been a warning and, and not a flag. Like, if Travis Kelsey didn't lateral that ball, and when I say lateral, more like a pass. Yeah, it was a straight-up throw. If he didn't pass he that back, he was channeling his college quarterback days there. And that didn't result in six points. And it only resulted in a Travis Kelsey first down. Which, again, nice play, not, not a highlight. I, I don't think this would be as big not, of a deal. We're probably not talking about it. The other thing, let's not pretend like the Chiefs' left tackle hasn't had a false start on every single play this year. Can we just talk about that for a minute? I mean, if you're going to complain about a call that was obviously correct, you're, I think you have to acknowledge, hey, we've gotten away with somewhere in the neighborhood of 900 false starts this year on one guy, and everybody's just kind of cool with it. So maybe, maybe you don't really want this thing called by the, by the letter of the law, Patrick. Like maybe, we, maybe that's not what you want here for the best thing for your team. It, it was – I don't know, like I said, it was just super frustrating for me. I'm looking at the the view from the top right now. Yeah. And and Tony is literally a yard in front of the football. Yeah, he it's an aggress it's an egregious The penalty. center the center is behind the forty nine yard dash. Yeah. And Tony's foot is on the forty nine yard line. Yeah, like it is he is 
what is he, he? His helmet is nearly touching the defender. Yeah, he is looking. I think he is. I. I mean, I. I think the defender closest to him, and him, if they just walk towards each other, would hit each other. And the defender's not offside or not lined up offside. So, I, it's. I just really don't like that look from Patrick Mahomes more than anything, and. You know, it is what it is. Like, he doesn't owe me anything, but it's a super hypocritical look. It's a super – I mean, honestly, and not – I like Patrick Mahomes a lot. I mean, he's super fun to watch, but that kind of stuff is like a loser mentality to me. I hate that. Mm -hmm. That's such a loser mentality, and that's that's a fan mentality, to be even more clear, and not calling fans losers because I do the same thing, right? But if you're in it, you have to process the game a different way than I do watching on my couch, right? Like, DB would talk about this all the time. He's like, I try not to process the game as a fan. He's like, so I understand when fans get frustrated about this and that or whatever, but I process the game like a former player, like an analyst, like a coach. And so most of the time, I don't agree with the like fan emotional take that's what Patrick Mahomes was doing. You're not just not a fan. You have control over the outcome of this game mm-hmm. in a way that nobody else on the field does. And you're complaining about one of the few things that's not in your control, the referee. It's like, hey, maybe focus on the things that you're in charge of. Because it's not like he played a perfect game. It's not like the Chiefs played a perfect game. And at the end of the day, I think what this is really about is he's so frustrated that he doesn't have any receivers that he likes. I mean, it's Kelsey and, ever, and no one else, right? He's been frustrated with these guys all year long, and I think it finally just set him over the edge. But he, he still can't say, well, my receivers are trash. What do you expect from a bunch of trash receivers? Which I think is what he <laughs> wanted to say. Like, I think deep down in his heart, what he was really mad about was like, yeah, of course he lined up a yard offside. This guy is garbage. Of course... I'm upset and frustrated. My receiving core is garbage. Mm-hmm. But he can't say that out loud, so instead he loses his mind at the refs. He, it, it, it'll be something he moves on from, though, uh, because he, he's battled adversity like this his entire career. When has he had like a really good starting wide receiver outside of Tyreek Hill? Um, yeah, I mean, it's been the Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey show. Yeah. So this is the first time he's been faced with adversity like this, where he hasn't had that number one star wide receiver on the outside that can bail him out of almost every situation. Because Kelsey has kind of t- dipped off a little bit. I'm not saying that he's still not uh, one of the best tight ends in the league this season, but he hasn't been as dominant well, as he's, we've he's seen aging. him in, I mean, in, in the past. Yeah. Right, and, and age catches up to you. So until they start putting guys around Mahomes that can actually be effective, you're going to get responses like this out of Mahomes. He's not used to losing this much. Yeah, He's I, not used to seeing all the L's pop up in the column like this. And losing in a way that's, I mean, that's a game that they should be able to win. If you're, if you're trying to win a Super Bowl, that's a game that he needs to be able to win, and they weren't able to do it. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we'll probably see some sort of him walking his statements back at some point. But, I, I mean, not that it matters, but this is very clearly to me one of those things where he's, he's acting mad about the thing that he's not really mm-hmm. that mad about. Well, and, you know, this has me thinking, and this is actually a, a perfect tie-in to things that we'll talk about today, but it has me thinking about the Angels a little bit, mm-hmm. okay? The Angels are a team that have 
well, they're built on superstars, right? Like they, they get Mike Trout, best player in baseball, mm-hmm. right? You have Otani, who was arguably as of today the best player in baseball, mm-hmm. right? But with that Trout situation, which is the most unique, it, it's where he, it's where he was born and where he died, right? But you've, when was the time, or at least the last time, you saw Trout get overly frustrated, vocally, in the public, about the Angels organization and, and things not going right in a game? You don't see it. No, I was say, I'm not sure I've ever seen any emotion on Mike Trout's face at all, ever. Right. And now, half the season he's hurt, yeah. because today it's just, he... He's just kind of fizzling out yeah. Well, his body, as you said, catches up to you at that age. Yeah, father, it's catching up to Otani. Father Let's time be is real. undefeated. Uh, but two, it, it's kind of like one of those situations, like when you're on a team that is overly frustrating to either watch or be a part of, sometimes those emotions just get the best of you. Well, and they, they come out in ways that don't totally make sense, right? But um, you have to, as a player, yeah. You have to hone in. You're the leader of this team, Mahomes. Especially as, as a quarterback. Like it's, as a quarterback, it's a whole different deal. You have to hold all of that back and let it go behind closed doors. Yeah, you have to figure behind out. Behind it all. You can't have guys like us, no. a random morning show in Omaha, Nebraska, talking about you on a Monday. Not like this. Um, the, you brought up Otani. We will get to uh, the Shohei Otani stuff, the $700 million man. That number still doesn't seem real, but it is. Uh, we will get to Otani. I also want to get to some Heisman stuff uh, as well. But we've got a jam-packed show for you here today. Coming up at 8 o'clock, we're going to talk to Sam McEwen from the Omaha World Herald. Uh, Nebraska ball with a big win last night, uh, getting bouncing back against a, a win that – I'll, I'll be honest. I didn't. Think I didn't were, think was coming. I didn't think they were getting. I didn't think they were going to get. They got. They caught Michigan State at a good time because Michigan State is reeling right now. But they're still a dramatically better team than the team Nebraska just lost to in Minnesota. So that's a really big win for Nebraska basketball. Obviously, Nebraska volleyball headed to the Final Four. Congratulations to them as well. Uh, that'll be in Tampa, Florida. Coming up at 8:45, Callen Hake. Uh, from Team Jack Foundation is going to be joining us. Great organization. Uh, to talk a little bit about Team Jack. At uh, 9 o'clock, we're going to talk to Steve Wiltfong about uh, some of the recruiting transfer portal stuff. It's a busy time of year. He's the uh, recruiting director for 24 7 Sports. And then we'll wrap up the show at 9 45 with Steve Gardner. He uh, is a baseball writer for the USA Today. We'll get some insight on Otani. And, and that as well. And more around the league because there's deals yeah, all over the I place. I mean, Juan Soto gets traded to the Yankees. Alex Verdugo gets traded to the Yankees. You guys got Tyler O'Neill from the Cardinals. You're welcome. I'm, I'm not pleased. <laughs> um, the the, uh, the Royals signed Will Smith. Um, there. Which Will Smith? <laughs> uh, the Men in Black. Oh. Yeah. Well, there, there are two Will Smiths in baseball. <laughs> Yeah, and, and none of the they're all both less famous than the actor. Um, they're gonna go all hitch on him. They're going that Will Smith. Oh, um, hitch! Yeah. All right, little Kevin James action. Hey, just, just stay right here. Hey, making the pizza. You don't need to make pizza. They got food there. <laughs> um, that's those are the guests we've got coming on the show. Q-tip. We're also throw it away. We're also gonna, I think, try and get to Shane's world. It's been a couple weeks. Um, I know Shane really wants to play. He's been missing out on uh, on trying the jelly beans. So. We'll, uh, we'll see if we can get oh, well, If there's any left. Yeah, so I got to tell you Are this Are you just story. over there snacking? What's going so, on? 
we I I chose to play it on Wednesday. Okay, the yeah, day yeah. That uh, that gone. you were gone. Yeah. And Anna was in because I'm like, oh, well, Anna's got to experience Shane Shane's world. Yeah, obviously, yeah. So I, I go over to get the box from Shane, and I just hear, oh, and then you just hear like. The little pebbles hitting the <laughs> ground, right? But instead, in this case, it's jelly beans. And it just, all it reminded me was Ross and friends when he's like, oh, major shampoo explosion. <laughs> Shane dropped half the box of jelly beans on come the ground. Come on, so Shane. That. So now we have about like seven oh, left, on, which Shane. is why I sent in our group text yesterday. I wonder if there's a holiday edition like uh, for Christmas time, Ooh, which there is a naughty or nice, but I think it's the same flavors. But Ooh. I saw on Amazon they have a spicy edition. Oh, no. No. Oh yeah. I don't know if I'm. I don't know if I'm up for that. Come one. on. I don't know. Exactly. I don't right. Know. I don't... There. There was a. <laughs> the flavor palette was. It, it was sriracha to jalapeno, and then it had like Carolina Reaper on there. Oh, oh my goodness! Can you imagine eating a spicy jelly bean at 8:30 in the morning? I cannot. I might pass on that. <laughs> uh, coming up next, I do want to talk about the Heisman Trophy results. Little bit frustrated with how that thing went. I'll tell you why. Coming up next year on Herd Out Sports Radio on AM 590 ESPN Omaha and ESPN Tri Cities. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're listening to Hurt at Sports Radio. Calls for the snap, a little high, but handle right up the middle. He will run. He will have the first down and then some inside the 25. Heads towards the numbers at the 10, the 5, into the end zone. Tigers, 35-yard run for Jaden Daniels with a rushing touchdown. Welcome back to Herd at Sports Radio. I'm Ravi Lula. Andrew Rogers here on AM 590 ESPN, Omaha ESPN Tri-Cities. You can also catch us on YouTube where the comments are already popping off. Good morning, Travis, Thomas, Terrence. A lot of T's in the chat this morning. We appreciate you guys. T to the third. We appreciate you guys tuning in and being a part of the show. You can be a part of the show uh, on the Warhorse Sportsbook Hotline, 888-638-4876. One of the things that I had been kind of wanting to talk about all weekend is the Heisman Trophy, Mm -hmm. which – Feels like it's not nearly as big of a deal as it was when I was growing up. When I was a kid, it felt like this enormous thing. It sort of almost felt, and that part of this is probably because Nebraska volleyball was playing pretty much the same time that the ceremony was going on. So at least locally, it took a back seat. But I think there's another problem as to why the Heisman sort of is fading away from importance. And so, so Jaden Daniels wins the Heisman from LSU, put up terrific numbers. Nobody's denying that. Incredible numbers, right? He had a great, great season. What I think the Heisman should be versus what it is, I think is where we're having a departure here. Because I thought Michael Penick should have won the Heisman. I thought he was the best player in college football on one of the best teams in college football. 
and one of the best stories in college football. What I think the Heisman should be is more of a reflection of why that football season was important. Like, who defined that college football season? I get that it's the best player. I get, I get that the criteria is pretty vague. But to me, if you want the Heisman to matter, it needs to. the winner needs to be what that college football season was about. Like, when you think back to – and this is, this is why it's different between, like, a Jaden Daniels and Johnny Manziel, right? When you think back to the Johnny Manziel season, Johnny Manziel was the story of that season. The upset against Alabama, the way he took the college football world by storm, all of this stuff, right? Joe Burrow is a great example, too. Obviously – he had incredible numbers. numbers. He had, was on the best team. But Joe Burrow was the story of that college football season. If you're just going to go by number, numbers, go back and give the Texas Tech quarterbacks a bunch of Heismans. Like, go back and, and go give these air raid guys a bunch of Heismans because the numbers are always going to be there for those guys, right? Even with Caleb Williams last year, like, yes, he was a very important figure in the college football season. But – are you going to think back to last year and think, ah, man, Caleb Williams, that's what I think of when I think of that college football season? Not really. And it's not, like I said, that's the reason I use Johnny Manziel as an example is because it's not just the best player on the best team, right? Texas A&M wasn't the best team that year, but Johnny Manziel defined college football It's a good way year. to list it. There's a really uh, – we're going to talk to him tomorrow, Eric Crouch. Mm-hmm. Eric Crouch defined that 2001 season for much of the year, right? Even though Miami was the best team, even during the season, I think we knew Miami was the best team. But Ken Dorsey wasn't really that guy. You, I think Clinton Portis was the running back. He wasn't really – you didn't have these guys that just stood out. Miami was just this juggernaut of a team. And so you think about the defense that they had, like Jonathan Vilma and Sean Taylor and Ed Reed, I think, was still on that team. Like you had all of these NFL guys, but none of those guys defined the college football season the way Eric Crouch did. You look at Eric Crouch's numbers, they're good, but they're not crazy, you know? And so I, I wish they would take that more into consideration. I think part of the problem is you have too many voters and too many of them aren't dialed into college football the way they need to be. So the easy thing to do is to fall back on the numbers. Uh, let's go to the Warhorse Sportsbook Hotline. Nate wants to talk about the Heisman. Nate, what's going on, bud? Hey, what's going on, fellas? How y'all? We're doing good. How you doing this morning? Yeah, I, let me turn my radio down. <laughs> You're all right. Yeah, yeah, man. You know how you, everybody like to listen to their own voice. And all that, man. But anyway, only us psychos yeah, man, on I this think, side of the I, chair. I, I think, yeah, I uh, I think the best player won, but I agree with you guys. Like, it don't. I don't know if it's just because of social media or everybody has a podcast, but the Heisman Trophy just don't feel the same. Like, it mm-hmm. ain't as major. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it just like it seems like it used you know, to be a huge deal, and it's really sort of faded from that. Yeah, you know how people used to tune in; they couldn't wait till the Heisman Show came on. Like that was a holler, but it was kind of it's kind of like an afterthought. But I think I think the best player won. You know, he did it against the, you know, uh, against the best competition, man. But I I really want to talk about that travesty that happened to Ken at Kansas City yesterday, man. That that was terrible. That was a terrible call. And that's one reason why I'm just starting to really 
tune out the NFL because the referees are messing up the game, man. And I want to get y'all opinion on that. Thanks for taking my call, man. <laughs> hey, thanks, Nate. Yeah, we actually uh, opened up uh, the show with that uh, call, and I actually didn't find it to be that terrible. I mean, it, no, it wasn't. I thought it was I mean, the right call. Now, does it take away that moment? 100%. The moment was incredible. It was exciting. But it all started with the flag. Like, you could see the flag right off the snap. Yeah, it's not like they waited. So, I, un- I understand both sides. Let the guys play. Let, don't, don't impact that moment. But at the same time, don't line up offside. I was going to say, he was <laughs> aggressively offside. Egregiously offside. And you can't go back and legislate the game based on the results. Right? You can't wait for... You can't wait to see, well, was that a cool play or not? Okay, mm-hmm. we'll pick up the flag. It's not like he threw the flag after the play happened. It was thrown and I wish, pretty I much wish immediately. it wasn't like out there that officials gave warnings on that call. Because if that wasn't like a known commodity for these players, mm-hmm. they wouldn't react like this. No. But it's the fact that, oh, before they've given us, you know, uh, a, a warning, up like, hey, hey, Tony, back up, or, you know. But most of the time it doesn't result in a touchdown like that either. Also, now, he, th- he threw the flag right away, so it, it was kind of like, well, if I can't see the football, mm-hmm. then – uh, then you're, you're obviously offside, and, and, and it's a problem for me now yeah. because I got to look at the line of scrimmage and see who's moving. And if you're impeding me, well, uh, you're going to get flagged for it. So if it wasn't if it wasn't out there, like, hey, sometimes we give a little bit of grace, sometimes we don't. This wouldn't be a discussion today. Also, they give grace when you check. He didn't check. Like usually, and usually it's the opposite thing that we see. It's an illegal formation where they're too far off the line of scrimmage, where they're not on the line the way they're supposed to be. And a lot, of guys, a lot of times guys will point over, they'll check, make sure they're okay. Sometimes the refs will give them a th- thumbs up. First of all, the refs are under no obligation to do that. Mm-mm. They are doing even if Even if they allow a warning every now and yes. then. They don't have to give yeah, it. They're not obligated to do that. It's a courtesy that they give because they want the game to flow better. But if you don't check, first of all, what you want them to yell at you, be like, hey, Kadarius. You're not lined up right. Like, what, he's supposed to be shouting at you during the game? No. Hey. And secondly, it was so egregious. This is literally the statement from the, from the refs was the penalty was – he was so far offside, we couldn't even see the football. So, no, he didn't get a warning. You know, going back to the Heisman talk, too, I'm happy that uh, – I'm happy about the way you described it because I think those were the words I've been missing over the last week sure. and trying to figure it out because I don't know if people remember, just about a week ago I said Jaden Daniels shouldn't win the Heisman Trophy. I don't think he should and, and people kind of got a little bit upset because I was saying, like, he hasn't, he hasn't done anything – to, to show his Heisman moment yet this season. Yeah. You look at what LSU have, has done. They, they were never in national championship conversation, and if they were ever, it was at the start of the year. It was before when, the When national State championship game. odds were, were given to open up the season. And then two, you look at what his record was against big in big games against ranked opponents this season. They're one and three, and that one win came against Mizzou way late. And Mizzou and them were dogging it out. It was a dogfight till the end, and it was what a, a separation of like six, seven points. So they got boat raced by Florida State to start the season. Um, they lost a shootout to Ole Miss. 
They beat Missouri. That was their only ranked win of the season. Uh, they got beat up by Alabama. Like they, all he did was stuff games. the stat sheet. And yeah. don't get me wrong, that's a good thing too for him because he did he did some incredible things offensively. He put up some great numbers. But unless you also elevate your team, yeah, take them to a point to where they can't they, they haven't been. That's what Michael Penix has been doing. Also, And so that's why I thought Penix should have won too. What was crazy to me was Penix wasn't even like the favorite all year. You look at the Heisman yeah. odds, and I was I was watching him closely. Bo Nix was ahead of Penix yeah. for the majority of this season, and Bo Nix didn't beat Penix not once, not twice. Yeah. No, Penix got the better of Bo Nix both times. Coming up next, we'll wrap up hour number one here on Herd Sports Radio. <laughs> You're listening to Hurt at Sports Radio. Wrapping up hour number one here on Hurt at Sports Radio. I'm Ravi Lula. Andrew Rogers here with me. I'm here. We're last I checked, we're on AM 590, ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri Cities. I know we've already been at work for over an hour, but I know some of you just getting going. You need a little pick me up. Go check out the beanery. They've got mm-hmm. four Omaha area locations, Gretna, Papillion, Ashland, and their newest spot over on 168th and Giles. They've roast their own coffee, locally owned and operated. If you're, if you're a hot coffee guy, iced coffee, frozen specialty drinks, they've got you covered. Or if you need to get a little snacky, muffins, breakfast sandwiches, even gluten-free and vegan options as well. The beanery serving people coffee. Uh, wanted to get to some of the local uh, news in college football here. Uh, it's been confirmed a couple times yesterday that Kyle McCord will be in Lincoln on a visit with Julian Fleming, both of the uh, Ohio State, former Ohio State Buckeyes, former five stars, um, which I know lots of Nebraska fans are getting all tingly about some former five stars on campus. Um, That is a pretty major development Mm -hmm. for Nebraska, not just the former five stars, but being, you know, getting one of the top transfer portal quarterbacks on a visit and seemingly being in the driver's seat for Kyle McCord is a pretty major um, development. Yeah, it's a pretty major development for Nebraska. It, when this sort of transfer portal season started I'm not sure many of us expected to be in on any of those top guys outside of Will Howard because there was a little connection there were rumors that you know Adrian Martinez was maybe giving a little bit of love to Nebraska and and trying to talk to Will Howard into into coming to Nebraska but as far as I know not really any connections with Kyle McCord other than they went out identified him as a guy that they think can can help him out and might even get a package deal with him and a wide receiver. That would be enormous from Nebraska. From what I hear, from what I hear, they were in town yesterday, and their official visit starts today. Well, so Ravi, you you mentioned something there about not being involved with those big guys, and I think what you mean by that is because of where Nebraska is today as a program, those big name guys wouldn't want to transfer to Nebraska because they aren't set up to be competitive 
um, in terms of a college football playoff run next season. Now, could something magical take place this offseason and, you know, the young guys get caught up to speed earlier rather than later and you could see that because of how strong the defense is and, and should be built? Yes, of course, but that's kind of the worry that you think about with these big-name guys. Of They're not going to want to play at Nebraska mm-hmm. because Nebraska just isn't there yet. But what I thought this staff did a tremendous job of was pushing that noise aside and just saying, no, I'm going to go recruit you because I can offer the same as these other schools if not more yeah. than these other schools to financially set you up sure. and to get you exactly what you're looking for. You're looking to play competitive football in the best, one of the best conferences out there. And what it's forming into is yeah. becoming uh, second to none, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's, it's SEC football in the Big Ten, and then it's everybody else. Yeah, the Big Two, and then everybody else. So if you're playing football in one of those, and Nebraska's a part of that, mm-hmm. That can appeal to anybody. And so that's why you have to insert yourself into the top four portal quarterback conversations, regardless of what could happen, what could shake out. If Cam Ward ends up at Michigan, just say, who cares? You tried, you pushed, you put your foot on the gas with Cam Ward and you tried to get there, but you're not leaving anything to chance. At all, because you are touching, you're you're touching ground in the Kyle McCord camp. You're touching ground in the Cam Ward camp, the Will Howard camp, etc. You are covering your ground, and that's all you can ask of this staff right now. Well, and I think you know you bring up an interesting point, and I think it's something that fans talk about a lot. With oh, uh, well, would he really want to come to Nebraska, or would he really want to go to X place because they're not in a place where they're going to be ready to win a championship or whatever, right? And I th- that's fair because that is what some guys are super hyper-focused on. I don't think Nebraska is a place you look at and say, oh, they can't win eight, nine games next year. If they have the right quarterback, they get their offense together, right? Like, that's not crazy. That's not out of the, the question, I don't think. What, what the reality of the situation is, and I don't know that we really give credence to this as much as we should, if you're not going to just a handful of programs – chances are you're not winning a national championship right now, right? And those programs kind of shift and change a little bit over the years. But if you're not going to one of, I mean, I'll call it 10 programs tops, the chances of you winning a national championship are almost non-existent. I would probably... Uh, it's probably smaller yeah, than that. Take a, take a number smaller, probably like top five programs. Yeah, and I'm being a little generous here, right? But let's let's call it ten for the sake of of, of because cap. of this season you have Washington and Texas. Yeah, because this year and... was a little weirder, right? Florida State was in the hunt, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously they didn't make it, but they were in the hunt. You know, Texas was in the hunt; they hadn't been in years past. Oregon was in the hunt until late; they hadn't been in years past. Um, this is, you know, usually Notre Dame is in that conversation. They had a little bit of a couple down years since Kelly left, but you can go to almost every other program in the country, and deep down you probably know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm probably not winning a national title. That doesn't mean you can't win at a super high level. That doesn't mean you can't accomplish your goals in terms of putting on really good tape for the NFL, setting yourself up financially for the future with NIL. Like, There's a lot of other things you can accomplish and still win at a really high level. And I don't, you know, I, we talked about loser mentality earlier this morning. I don't think it's a loser mentality to be 
realistic about a situation and say, hey, you know, unless I go to Georgia, Alabama, one of these schools, the chances of actually winning a national title probably aren't that good. We're still going to try and win at the highest level. And if things break our way, like, yeah, maybe we can get into that 12-team playoff because it's more accessible now than ever. But I think if you're being realistic, like Cam Ward didn't go to Washington State thinking he could win a national title. Like, let's be real. That's not a thing that was happening, right? Will Howard. He was, tr- he was transferring from a He was transferring from FCS to FBS because he was trying to to play Power 5 football. And good for him, his next transfer, he might have a chance to win a national championship, right? right? Whether he goes to Michigan or Florida State or wherever else. But like Kyle McCord started at Ohio State because he wanted to win a national championship. He wanted to win a national championship, and now he's kind of getting pushed out because they like the guys behind him a little bit better. And so is he like, okay, am I going to go to a Washington or somewhere like that where, you know, does Washington have a chance to win a national title after Michael Penix is gone? I don't know, maybe. Depends on who they bring in. Which depends is on who they Will bring Rogers, in. Will Rogers, right? Uh, no, Will Rogers going to. Oh yeah, it is Will Rogers. Sorry, yeah, I was confusing Blake Shapin to going to mm-hmm. Mississippi State with Will Rogers leaving. Right. Mississippi State. <laughs> the portal gets yeah, a little. It's a little crazy sometimes. Yeah, a little twilight zoney sometimes for me. But is you know you're losing a Dunze at wide receiver. You'll lose Panics. Like you're losing a bunch of guys. If Washington's in the playoff next year. I'd be pretty surprised. Well, and who's well, if they're in the top four. If they're in the top 12, I won't be surprised. But And who's to say you can't be Mizzou at Nebraska? Sure. Missouri has Brady Cook, and they have Luther Burden. Mm-hmm. And then they have a really good running back in Schrader, but he was a walk-on yeah. and just became a really good running back. He's just a workhorse. He's, he, he reminds me a lot of um, – I'm going to – take a Nebraska tie here but in the NFL he reminds me a lot of like a Rex Burkhead like somebody that sure. is just a, an absolute downhill runner um, and so why can't you be that like that's that's I think where Nebraska could strive next year by getting a guy like Kyle McCord and Julian Fleming in the room here's some guys that or here's some teams that were nine and three last year Arizona that's not a scary team they're good they were well coached they got better throughout the year Arizona played in a really good Pac-12 hey like a really good Pac-12. Good teams win. Yeah. Great teams cover. <laughs> and that's Arizona. Arizona was a great team. But they go 9-3. and three. You're telling me with the – with, I mean, you've got a lot of guys coming back on defense. I think the defense is going to be maybe even better next year because you've got young guys on the defensive line maturing and getting another year in the system. You can't tell me that Prince Will and Cam Lenhart aren't going to be better next year mm-hmm. as sophomores instead of true freshmen. You've got – I've, I've heard that Gifford is coming back. I don't know if it's been officially announced yet, but if you've got Gifford back in that kind of nickel in spot. That rover role. In that rover spot, yeah, that's a huge piece for them. And you've got a bunch of guys that you like and a bunch of guys in the second year of this defense. You could convince me that the defense could be better next year. So if the offense is even functional, you're telling me they can't get to nine wins? I mean, it's a tough schedule. It, like, the first seven games are, are very manageable wins. Very manageable. But, but the bottom five, they're to tough. get two out of five from UL, UCLA, USC, uh, Ohio State, and then you have Wisconsin and Iowa, yeah. it's still possible to get two wins in that group. Wisconsin and Iowa are going to be about the same level as Nebraska. They pretty much always are, right? From talent-wise, we saw it this year. Those games go down to the wire. Those are on the table for sure. I'm not 100% sure what USC and UCLA look like, look like next year. I just I really don't know. You're going to be losing Caleb Williams at USC. UCLA's was kind of down this year in a and bit they're of a replacing transition. Dante Moore. Replacing Dante Moore so they don't have this five-star that they thought they had coming back next year. You're you're in a situation that's a little bit tricky for both of those teams and by the end of the year, 
those teams might be a little beat up in the Big Ten first year go around, right? Like, so yes, that's a challenging end of the schedule. I don't know that it's going to be as daunting as it looks on paper. Maybe it will be. It might be worse, right? If Wisconsin comes back up, it might be a little bit worse than mm-hmm. it is on paper right now. But I think there's a chance that it's that there's two wins in that five pretty reasonably, maybe even three. But my point is Arizona, Louisville, NC State, Oregon State, who we raved about, Oklahoma State. You're telling me Nebraska can't be in that range of teams next year with a real quarterback and a functional offense? You can't convince me they're not, and that's that puts you basically somewhere between 14 and 18 nationally. Nebraska would take that, and all of a sudden next year, you're knocking on the door. At 14, you're knocking on the door of the playoff next year. That's a place that Nebraska could be if this goes their way. Uh, coming up next, we've got Sam McEwen from the Omaha World Herald. Sam McEwen. Uh, well, you know, we're going we're gonna to throw the ball, and you just stand back there and throw where you want to go. You know, and that kind of thing. Sam McEwen. Are you guys going? Um, sure. Now, Sam McEwen. We're kicking off our number two here on Herd Out Sports Radio. I'm Ravi Lula. Andrew Rogers here with me. We are live on AM590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities, and we are brought to you by Dyer Law. Dyer Law has you covered. If you've been hurt in a personal injury accident, you can count on the Dyer Law team to provide you with a helping hand when you need it, no matter what you're dealing with. Call the Dyer Law team at 402-393-7529 or visit Dyer.Law to chat with trusted professionals about your personal injury claim. That's D-Y-E-R dot law. Joining us now is Sam McEwen from the Omaha World Herald. Sam, how are you this morning? Good, guys. How are you? Hey, Sam. Good to hear from you. Yeah, same here. We are doing well here. Uh, You know, let's start with Nebraska basketball. They got a... Pretty massive win yesterday. I know Michigan State, the name and jersey is a little bit more impressive than Michigan State, the team this year, although a lot was expected from the Spartans. But how important was it for Nebraska to get back on the winning track after the way they lost that Minnesota game? Important, for sure. Yeah, I, you know, I thought going into this stretch, going 2-2, two and two, um, which means they got to beat K-State, going 2-2 two and two was was going to be really, you know, important to their NCAA tourney hopes. Mm-hmm. Um, and they might still go 2-2. Two and two. I mean, they got to go to Kansas State and win there. Uh, it's probably the second-best team they're going to face in this stretch. But um, they got an important win last night, you know, and, and I think they, they saw that if they do the things that their coach wants them to do, and more to the point that they do it for 40 minutes, good results will follow. And so he'll be able to use this game as an example of, you know, remember when we talked about this and remember what we did against Michigan State. So he'll be able to use that as sort of a as sort of an object lesson. You know, it's, it, it's an important win. Um, this is a team that I think has should make the NIT and could make the NCAA tournament. It, it's got to fall right. They, they got to win the right number of games. They probably got to get to 20 wins, I think to feel good about an NCAA tournament first. But, but you know, NIT takes about 17, and I think they can get there with, with some ease. And uh, I thought they played well yesterday, and they, they withstood the pressure and, and all the rest. Michigan State, obviously, is very good, and, and their coach knows it. He's, you know, taken this bizarre stance of principle to not play their five-star freshman forward. He didn't play last night. Hard to know why. 
very few coaches can get away with that, but but uh, but I think he's he's not going to have much of a choice. Going to have to play that guy going forward. And if that guy played last night, I don't know. Maybe they won. I, I, it's hard to say. Uh, it's really it's really strange what Michigan State's trying to do or attempting to do. But Nebraska doesn't need to worry about that because they won the game. You know, Sam. Before the start of the season, you could probably say Nebraska got the wins backward. Minnesota should have been the W, ended up being the L. Michigan State should have been the L, ended up being the W. In this game, though, in particular, because playing a Tom Izzo team, any, any Tom Izzo team, whether it's this year or, or once a year's past, not coming in with any momentum is a very difficult task to then ultimately end in, uh, in, in the win column. How important was Nebraska's bench yesterday? In particular, Sam Hoiberg's defense and C.J. Wilcher's points. Important, yeah. They have depth. You know, that's the one thing they've got uh, that that other teams in the Big Ten, a lot of other teams in the Big Ten, do not have. Uh, they they've got they've got options on the bench, uh, and they're not going anywhere for the calendar year, if that makes sense. So, you know, like those guys. I mean. You know, Boogie Coleman's not going anywhere. This is his last year, so he's going to play, and and he may not play every game, but but they've got an opportunity to use him if they need him. Sam Hoiberg's not going anywhere, so if Sam has a game where he only plays three minutes, well, you know, so it goes. I mean, Sam will play seventeen the next. Uh, so they've got they've got depth, and they've got depth that's, that's sticking around for the balance of the season. They they don't have to ask a lot of their true freshmen. I do think Eli Rice is a, going to be a very good player. Probably needs to, you know, uh, loosen up defensively a little bit, be a little bit more active there. But, but uh, he's going to be a good player. So they've got they've got depth. It it should serve them well. You know, I think it should serve them well. Thought it served them well last night. She was Alex hurt, and I, you know, this was a game. And Izzo mentioned it after the game. This was a game where I don't know that they missed Alex too much. Because Michigan State's post play is not very good, mm-hmm. uh, there will be games where they will miss Alec a great deal, and they need to get him back uh, for for those games. And K State may be one of them. K State's got isn't tall, but they're physical. Um, you know, so I thought they could play without Alec last night and be okay because Juwan Gary offers some some opportunities that just make the team better offensively. But uh, you know, the depth is crucial to this team, and they're they're going to be. They're going to be tough to beat. I, you know, I don't know how many wins it looks like, 17, 18, 19, but they're going to be very competitive this year because if one guy's having a bad night, you can put him on the bench. You can try, try somebody else, and you might get a better result. And, and last night I thought you know, they brought in C.J. Wilshire. Bryce Williams wasn't his best game. Might have been one of C.J. Wilshire's better games. So that kind of stuff happens. Sam, you, know, you, you mentioned the, the ability to kind of try – out different guys based on who's having a good night, who's not. How sustainable do you think that is to not necessarily have kind of that go-to guy as the Big Ten season wears on? I know we kind of think of Tominaga that way, but that's not always how he plays. I think it's sustainable. I, I don't think it's a, a league full of top-end players. Probably the best player in the country plays for Purdue, but, you know, after that, you know, there's just not as many. Now, again, there are teams with good players. Terry mm-hmm. Shannon's a really good player mm-hmm. and could be, could be an All-American. Um, Jameer Young doesn't play for a great team, but he, he he's an all-conference player. 
but but they you don't have a bunch of teams with three or four guys, and you don't have that team with a Murray, you know, a, a Kenyon or a Keegan Murray. So, you know, I mean, I think I think it's sustainable. I I don't think uh, the league is is overwhelming. I think there's going to be opportunities to win games. There are teams that you look at and you're like, that's going to be hard. I think Illinois is going to be hard for Nebraska to beat. I think Illinois has a lot of the pieces that make it hard for Nebraska to beat them. Uh, I think Northwestern is going to be hard for Nebraska to beat. But but I think it's sustainable. Um, you know, Casey is who he is, and, and he had a real nice game, I thought. Did a couple of threes. And, uh, the one thing he does is he makes the defense worry about him. You can't just let him be. You got to you got to kind of follow him around, and that's good. Um, you know, and I thought Rink Math played a, a game that it was a good Rink Math game. That's the kind of game that you need to see from him all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the most important, a, a very smart coach once told me the two most overlooked things of a coach, and this is ironic, but it really is, is scoring and defensive rebounds. And, and the point that that person was making is coaches can harp and focus so much on every other little intangible that, man, is it nice when you have somebody who can put it in the bucket and who can clear the glass when a team misses a shot. And I thought Rick Mass did a really good job of, of, the, of the latter. And, of course, then he had the assist. This team needs defensive rebounding probably more than anything else. They've got guys that can score. Uh, they can put it together on any given night. Juwan Gary is doing that. I don't know if he's going to do it all season, but Juwan's playing quite well offensively. Um, so what you need is guys that can clear the glass defensively, and I thought Mass did that. Rick Mass does not need to score 17 points a game. He doesn't. Uh, if he scores 10 or 11 or even 9, you can live with that. That double-digit number as a rebounder is what you need from him. And if he does that every single night, uh, this team's going to be tough to beat because rebounding is what Nebraska, deep down what Nebraska needs, great rebounding. And I thought last night they got it. Sam, I, I'd like to switch gears now to football. As we know, some big visitors set to visit Nebraska. Um, Kyle McCord, Julian Fleming. Uh, we know conversations were had with Sam Levitt, Cam Ward, Will Howard. Although, if I were a betting man, uh, it seems as though Nebraska is the favorite to sign McCord as of right now. Um, do you think a pocket passer is the right move for the Huskers? Or would you rather see someone that has the ability to to create with the legs as well. well. Anytime you can get a pocket passer who moves, you'll take that. Oh, but if you're asking me, do I would I rather see Nebraska get a Kyle McCord or go get a guy that runs around a lot? I'll take the pocket pass. I think, um, and here's why. I think it makes it makes the rest of your team have to step up what they do um, and it and it empowers your receivers and your running backs and your tight ends and your linemen because like listen this guy's going to stay in the pocket and he's going to be a distributor we're not going to ask him to run 13 times a game those carries are going to go to our running back you know and and our wide receiver and we're going to throw the football like a normal throwing football team <laughs> and you know what players like that they, they want that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, this guy's going to stay in the pocket. He's going to throw him to the ball. I like that. They like 
Uh, now, there's nothing wrong with, with, with Patrick Mahomes. That, that, that's ideal. Uh, but, you know, you, you don't always get that. And you can't, you don't always, you can't always easily predict who that's going to be. Like, you know, you can see the athleticism of Sam Levitt. But what you don't know is whether Sam is, is Bo Nix or he's, you know, not. Like, he's below that. He's a guy that isn't very accurate. Or you just don't, you just don't know. You don't know if he's power five athletic and accurate or if he's group of five athletic and accurate. Um, you know, upside for a Sam Levis, maybe a Tanner Mordecai. And I thought Tanner Mordecai, when he was healthy at the end of the year, or healthier, that made Wisconsin a pretty good team. I thought Nebraska played arguably its best game, very close to its best game of the year at Wisconsin. And Mordecai beat him. You know, he just he just outplayed him. You know, and that, that, that happened. Uh, but, you know, so, yeah, I think, I think McCord... Uh, is a good pick. I, it, it, it shows that Nebraska is very serious mm-hmm. about getting better because McCord's not going to go to some place where he cannot uh, be a pro-style quarterback. I mean, he's going to go somewhere where he can throw the football 30 to 35 times a game and prepare himself for the NFL um, because he only has the one year left. So, you know, Nebraska. if, if Nebraska is serious about that, then they're going to be serious about trying to design, devise that kind of offense. And we'll see how it goes. I mean, uh, I, I'm not opposed to it, but we'll we'll see we'll see what happens. Sam, is it fair to say that the system that Marcus Satterfield wants to run dramatically favors a more traditional dropback passer? Well, it, it I think it favors somebody, you know, who um, at least embodies those skills. Again, if you can get the, the mobility, that's a bonus. You know, just... Oh, Sam, we lose you there? Shane, we lose Sam? Might have. I'll check for him. All right, let's try and get him back there. Uh, I, so the, the, the point of my question there was with, you know, I think some of us are having a hard time envisioning what we saw on offense this year and saying, well, Kyle McCord isn't going to be able to run some of those plays. It's like, yeah, I don't, I don't think Marcus Satterfield wants to run those plays again. <laughs> you know, we, we heard him talk about with the options specifically, but I, I think more than that, I think the overall, I think the overall look of what the offense was isn't really what Marcus Satterfield wanted to do. I think they adjusted to it because of who they got in the portal. I don't know if Jeff Sims was handpicked or – we have him, Shane? Yeah, Come we back. have him back. Um, I don't know if, if Jeff Sims was handpicked or if he was just the best they thought they could mm-hmm. get. But, um, Sam, we, we got cut off in the middle of your answer there yeah. about the uh, Satterfield offense. But uh, yeah. to, to give context again, uh, just I, I think sometimes Nebraska fans are having a hard time because they probably didn't see a ton of Satterfield before uh, imagining a Kyle McCord in the offense that we saw called this year. And, and I guess I just don't think they have much interest in, in calling many of those plays again. Right. Yeah. I, what I would say is that, you know, if you look at the run game that, that, that uh, Satterfield wants to run and, and the pass game that he wants to run, it's a pro-style passing game and a, a pro-style run game. Um, I think that they inserted the option midseason because they uh, – they were playing Harvard, and they had to maximize his skill set. And you know, again, there there is certainly a time 
and it may be two or three years from now, where you can look back on year one, and we will know in three years' time whether year one was an unfortunate situation where they, they held themselves back because, you know, they they did all these other things, or if it was just, um, you know, a blip on the radar, and we're going to find that out. You know, if they sign McCord and he comes to the football program, and then they go into next year and they throw the football, you know, 20, 35 times a game, and, and they run it, you know, however many times. Let's say they run it 35 times and they throw it 35 times or 30 times. Um, you know, you'll, you'll know. Um, but this was the worst pass offense uh, in the Big Ten or darn near, I guess, Iowa was worse. Um, you know, it was one of the worst pass offenses in the country. Um, it's going to be very, very hard to attract running backs and receivers to this kind of statistical output. And one of the things that I think is absolutely true is if you look at the teams that might have made the playoff, right? So we're, we're expanded out to the 12. Look at the passing numbers for those teams and tell me if Nebraska fits into that. They don't. And so, you know, um, it is what it is. The option stuff got them to five wins. It was a nice novelty story for a little while. You're not going to win the Big Ten doing that. Again, I mean, the, the, the fun thing about all of this is that the division is gone. It is over. And so now it's about winning the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. And it's about going and beating Ohio State, Michigan, Oregon, Washington, USC, Penn State, UCLA, Wisconsin. Good Easy. luck doing that with the triple Easy. option. Not going to do it. <laughs> Not going to win it with the triple option. Not going to win it with the triple option. So, you know, you, you got to it, – it's time. Like, it's really, really time. And we'll see. We'll see what they – I think they know that too. Like it's it's time to join everybody else. Missouri and Iowa State, and Kansas, Kansas State, yes, even Colorado and Oklahoma State and Oklahoma. All the teams that used to be in Nebraska's league, they all know how to do this. Nebraska needs to learn how to do it too. They got more resources than arguably every school that I just rattled off, mm-hmm. with maybe the exception of Oklahoma. But I think they got more resources than Oklahoma in some ways too. They got more resources than every other school I mentioned, though. Time to fight a quarterback. Time to throw the football. Time to be a, a grown-up offense that's not relying on, you know, quarterback power on third and four. Grow up, and they will. They will. They know it. They get it. They'll do it. You know, they had their mulligan year with the offense. That's all you can call it is a mulligan, but but you're on the team. Again, on the on team number one, dog leg right, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> put it in the fairway. Put it in the fairway. And they will. I think they probably will. That's why they're going after McCord. Um, if, if the answer had been, well, let's go get Sam Levitt and have him and Chubb and Heinrich compete for the starting job and we'll see who wins. We're going to run it a little and we're going to throw it a little and we're going to rely on the, you know this and that. Maybe it'd be one thing, but... No, they know. I think they know what they've got to do, and, and it's not going to be, um, it's not going to be easy. But you know, I think they're trying. This is this is an attempt. They only get McCord for one year, though. So if you're going to do this for one year, well, who's the, who's the guy that's coming in after that? Who you're going to rely on after that? I, I don't know. Sam, you you mentioned kind of expanding out to the twelve teams, and I, and I look at the teams just outside of that range. I look at. An Arizona at 14. I look at a, a Louisville at 15, an NC State at 18, an Oklahoma State at 20. And, and I look at that and I, I think to myself, okay, 
is it crazy to think if the McCord thing works out that Nebraska's in that range next year? It's not. No. The schedule the schedule would tell you it's possible. The schedule says it's possible. Um, the first half of it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it's not. It's not impossible. That's 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 within the realm. You got to win. You know, I think again we can be pretty realistic about this. You have to win at least nine, yep. and preferably ten, to be in that conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, an eight and fourteen would have a hard time getting in it. Um, so you know, you got to find those wins in there. But yeah, I mean, I think there's there's certainly components of this team that make it possible. They'll have. Enough players back on defense. I don't have the back, the, the final five games in front of me, but obviously the final five are hard and, and, and very challenging. Yeah, it's some order of UCLA, USC, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Iowa. Yeah, that's, you know, and that's it's, not the hardest it could be. Um, I wouldn't want to play Oregon next year. I think Oregon's going to be – I watched quite a bit of Oregon this year mm-hmm. and quite a bit of Washington Um with them joining the league, and I, I knew, I know UCLA. I've watched Chip Kelly for years. Mm-hmm. And that's not the hardest schedule you can have. I wouldn't want to mess with Oregon over the next three to five years. I mm-hmm. think they're going to be really, really. Their roster is terrific. Their coaching needs to improve, but their roster is outstanding. Um, so you know, I mean, yeah, it's it's manageable. It's fun, right? Like it's interesting to to, to ponder this stuff because uh, McCord obviously has a lot to prove. Mm-hmm. He, he's got a lot that he wants to prove based on. You know what? What happened at Ohio State? You know they got great media covering that program there. They're, they really understand their team, and and I think nobody was super sold on McCord all season long. And I think you know what? That's a byproduct of that's a byproduct of how good the quarterbacking has been there prior to his arrival. Mm-hmm. Because if you put on the film of Kyle McCord and then you go put on the film of you know Kent Graham or Joe Germain. <laughs> or pick a name from the Craig 90s. Kenzel. Yeah, he he fits. He he uh, he sizes up well to the names that I just mentioned. Like he's he's more than capable of being Joe Germain, mm-hmm. or or yes, or Craig. Yes, uh, yes. He's he's a Jim Trestle era quarterback. Uh, and what what has changed in that program is that they had. And, I mean, I've got a love-hate affair with Justin Fields, but Justin Fields is really talented. Phenomenal college quarterback. Yeah, and he's talented, really. Yes. Um, Especially when he's got time to throw. Um, But Stroud and and Fields and even Haskins, the late Dwayne Haskins, had, you know, things, tools that McCord doesn't have. And so, um, you know, but as a college quarterback, I mean, Iowa would love to have. I mean, Iowa would take him tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have their own guy, Cade McNamara, but uh, so you know, I mean, there's there's a lot of things about this kid that are very quality, and he's going to have a lot. He's going to be very motivated mm-hmm. uh, coming out of a place that I think kind of kind of ran him off, and you know, I think I think he probably feels like really well, I didn't have that bad of a season, and and I had to endure a lot of criticism. Um, Ryan Day, when when in reality, you know, there's there's things about your team that aren't as good as they were when you took it over, and that's absolutely true too. Ryan Day's done a, a fine job, but he hasn't he has not replenished Urban Meyer's talent uh, along the offensive side of the ball, and so you know, McCord will have a lot to prove. Nebraska's got to convince him that 
that that they're the right spot for him. They're going to have to. He's going to have to meet the receivers. Julian Fleming probably going to have to like the place too. So there's a lot of variables involved. Sam McEwen from the Omaha World Herald. Sam, good stuff this morning. We appreciate your time as always. Take care. Thanks, Sam. That's Sam McEwen from the Omaha World Herald. Yeah, uh, there's. I'm wondering if you get Kyle McCord, mm-hmm. does that? Put Nebraska right in the middle of the pack next season amongst all Big Ten teams? Are you closer to the top? Are you kind of in between the top and the middle? Because I don't think you're below the line. That's an interesting question. Let's tackle that next here on Herd Sports Radio. You're listening to Herd at Sports Radio. We're halfway through the show here on Herd at Sports Radio. I'm Robbie Lula. Andrew Rogers here with me. We're on AM 590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities, as well as the YouTube and Twitter streams. We are brought to you by our friends at Dingman's Collision Center. Dingman's has been in business in Omaha for over 25 years, family-owned and operated. First place best of Omaha for 18 years running. They've got four great locations throughout the metro area and they invest in the latest technology to stay up to date with everything they need to work on whatever make and model you have, everything from Fords to Teslas. They also invest in the community. They give back with every car repaired. Go check out dingmans.com for more information. Uh, You brought up an interesting question with Kyle McCord, which this is, we're we're doing a hypothetical here. Mm -hmm. We're not reporting that he's signed or gonna sign or whatever i think nebraska's in a good position for him but if kyle mccord ends up at nebraska and is their starting quarterback next season you ask where does that put nebraska in the pecking order of the big 10 am i am i getting the question correctly that is correct okay so you ask are they any lower than top half right i certainly don't think they're below top half so we're looking at Let's let's you know do a little thought exercise here. But you have Oregon with Dylan Gabriel, who they're going to be top three. So it's going to be Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Oregon. I think will all be ahead of Nebraska. That's four teams. And I'd probably put Oregon above Penn State. That's fine. I'm not, I'm not doing an order right. here. Just just teams that I think for sure are above Nebraska, right? Um, so that's four right there. Do we think Washington? We don't know what their quarterback situation is going to be. They're projected to be Will Howard. I would say yes, above. Above, okay. Because I, I'm, I don't disagree. I'm a big Kalen DeBoer guy. Don't disagree there. Um, so that's five out of we're talking what 18 teams, right? Isn't that crazy? Is that, is that that's the right number, isn't it? <laughs> the Big 18, <laughs> but still called the Big Ten. Are they gonna like have the Big Ten logo, but like put a little dash in the zero, so it looks like an eight? No, they're just gonna they're just gonna square root the ten. Um, not square root. Put it put it put it two up in the corner. Um, that's not how it works. No, nope, the big one. Not at all. Uh, <laughs> so that's, all right. That's all right. It's fine. I'm trying. So we got five teams it's there. Early. It's Monday. So five teams there. Right. Um, I believe you're still above. So you've got USC and UCLA are the other two additions. Right. Which I'm going to – I really don't know what to make of either of those two teams because I don't think USC is built well to transition to the Big Ten. You're without Caleb Williams. Mm-hmm. That's a really – USC is really interesting. 
Um, UCLA, again, I think they'll be competitive. I don't know really what their quarterback situation is going to be. They did take a step back this year from what they were uh, two years ago with uh, DTR as a fifth-year senior. Defensively, that should transition better, though, than UCLA should. U- yes. USC. USC, even – so one of the things that I, I think we'll probably get to in the sports cleanup is – so USC is hiring Matt Entz away from North Dakota State to be not their defensive coordinator, but as a linebacker coach slash associate head coach. Super weird move, but for him, for Entz, I mean mm-hmm. – um, because the last handful of guys to be in that North Dakota State head coaching job got head coaching, got FBS head coaching jobs. So to not even take a coordinator role, I think, is really strange. Although I'm guessing they they backed up a Brinks truck for him. The but so you've got some new pieces in there in terms of defense, uh, in defensive coaching staff for USC. But with the way Lincoln Riley coaches offense, that's always going to be a challenge. Um, we don't know what the USC quarterback situation is going to be. I'm imagining they won't be as good as Caleb Williams because Caleb Williams has been incredible. Well, I, Caleb Williams was a Heisman winner. Malachi Nelson was the five-star in yes. that room that was a part of that 2023 class, although Miller Moss was ahead of him on the depth chart this year. Mm-hmm. I'd expect Malachi Nelson to elevate from guess. the third-string role to the top role, but as we see in Texas – Arch Manning is still listed as the third stringer despite being a five-star too. I haven't seen enough of Malachi Nelson to know right. any different yes. than what the depth chart tells me. Sure. But as of right now, Miller Moss is ahead of him. Yeah, and so you don't know, is, is USC going to try and get somebody out of the portal as well? Um, you know, they were, we know they were active on some of the bigger names. So USC's quarterback situation, I don't know what that looks like. You would think if they were really confident in either of those two guys, in, in Moss or Nelson, that they maybe wouldn't be quite as active in the portal as it seems like they are. Um, so that's going to be interesting to see what's going on at USC. So let's put one of those teams ahead of Nebraska, mm-hmm. but not both. We'll split the difference there. Okay. So that's six for sure. Okay. Are we? And then I think you get into a range of teams that you say, yeah, Nebraska's probably in that neighborhood. You've got your Iowa Wisconsin's of the world. Mm-hmm. You've got, I mean, without Tagovailoa, Maryland's taking a step back. Mm-hmm. I think Rutgers is probably, if Nebraska's got Kyle McCord, I think Nebraska's better than Rutgers. Absolutely. Um, I think they're better than Michigan State, obviously, Indiana. I think they're better. Michigan than- State will be interesting as they try to build something with Jonathan Smith. They already got that. Um, that transfer from Oregon State who would backed up DJU, yes. that uh, Chile's. Uh, Andres Chile, I think. Yeah, Chile. Um, but, again, remember at – now, I don't know if it'll take as long because Oregon State's a really hard job. But it did take Jonathan Smith three years to mm-hmm. get it going at Oregon State. So I don't know that I expect a super fast start with Michigan State, especially because that program's kind of been a dumpster fire a little bit. Um so I, I think next year, Nebraska's probably ahead of Michigan State. I think they're ahead of Purdue. I think they're ahead of Illinois. I think they're ahead of Minnesota. Mm-hmm. I think no worse than top Max half. Max Brosmer, I think, transfer going to Minnesota next year. I think no worse than top half. Was New, he New Hampshire? New Hampshire, I think. I think it was New Hampshire. Um, so I, I, I think no worse than top half. And I think you could talk me into as high as – I mean, there are teams in that top half yes. to, to kind of – go into what you're thinking about right now where you are above USC 
where with you Kyle could be. McCoy. Yeah, you could, could be, be above yeah. USC. You could be above UCLA. You could be above. I, I mean, honestly, you, I'm not saying Nebraska's top five. No, but Nebraska sure as heck isn't any lower than nine. You could talk me into them being above anyone except those big four. The the Michigan, Ohio mm-hmm. State, Penn State, Oregon, because I do think there might be some flux in Washington. Where not that they're going to be bad, but that they might take a little bit of right. a step back. You could talk me into anyone except for the top four. I think it's likely after the top five. But the hard that, part is where do they sit, either in front or behind of Iowa and Wisconsin, yeah. because that could significantly drop you out of the top Abs- half. Absolutely. If you have Wisconsin and Iowa above you, however. What I saw from Iowa this year, and yes, they were without, were without Cade McNamara, but they still weren't lighting the world on fire with Cade McNamara. No, they were and not. what I saw out of Wisconsin, which was a broken team mm-hmm. that somehow, someway found a way to get the better of Nebraska in that football game, in a game where Nebraska didn't have a good, solid quarterback, a good offensive foundation for themselves to win that football game. That right there tells me if you insert Kyle McCord, you're better than Wisconsin. You are better than Iowa. Absolutely. And, and it's just that. Uh, you beat Iowa with Kyle McCord. You beat Wisconsin with Kyle McCord. That's why I would sit Nebraska above both of those teams because you don't take as big of a hit on defense as a lot of other teams around mm-hmm. the Big Ten and nationally may think Nebraska will with, with all the returners and by retaining Tony White. Absolutely, yeah, and, and so you look at, I mean, look, you look at the schedule next year, and or you look look at the schedule from this year, I, I should say. With Kyle McCord, do they beat Minnesota? Yeah, absolutely. With Kyle McCord, do they beat Michigan State, Maryland, Wisconsin, and Iowa? Yeah, absolutely. The only games that I look at that they probably don't win with Kyle McCord are Michigan and Colorado. The way Colorado was playing in that game, I think they still lose. But And I get the schedule's different next year, but all of a sudden you're looking at, okay, Nine and three is not crazy. Next year, nine because let's say they win six of their first seven, then you win three out of five on the back end. If we're saying they're better than Iowa and Wisconsin, that's two right there. And then you just have to beat either a USC or UCLA team that we have no idea what they're going to look like. Like it's not crazy, and that's what that's why landing Cal McCord is so important because it, or a top named yeah someone in that someone in that neighborhood of Kyle McCord because it all of a sudden makes you a serious football team again. When you're trotting out Heinrich Harburg last year, you weren't really a serious football team. When you were trotting out Jeff Sims after what we had seen from him, you weren't really a serious football team. Chubba Purdy, it was tough. I I didn't think he looked that bad, but you're trotting out a third-string quarterback. You're not really a serious football team at that point. Try out Kyle McCord every game, you're a serious football team all of a sudden. And I think that puts Nebraska at least in the top half of the Big Ten. Uh, coming up next, we're going to talk to Callan Hake from uh, Nebraska and the Team Jack Foundation. Uh, that's coming up next to wrap up hour number two on Herd Out Sports Radio. Listening to Hurt at Sports Radio. White drives in. Good shot block from Destiny Brown. Kicks out. Hake left wing three. Knocks it down. That's what you want to see out of Callan Hake. Knocking down threes like that. The shot gets contact. Owl's bench wanted to travel. 
on the Australian. She'll come up and set a screen for Callan Hake. She sidesteps, fires for three, good! We are wrapping up hour number two here on Herd Out Sports Radio. I'm Ravi Lula, Andrew Rogers here with me on AM 590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities. A reminder, using your seatbelt saves lives and prevents injuries, but only if it is properly worn. Make it click. This message from the NDOT Highway Safety Office. Uh, we are pleased to be joined now by current Nebraska women's basketball player and uh, Team Jack representative, Callan Hake. Callan, how are you this morning? Good morning. I'm great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So what? I, I just want to dive right in here. How did you get uh, involved with Team Jack in the first place? Yeah, so I have a near and dear connection with pediatric cancer. And so when I got on campus through Nebraska's life skill um, opportunities, I mentioned that and they got me connected with Kylie um, at Team Jack. And it has just been such a pleasure um, to have Team Jack here in Lincoln. Uh, so you mentioned that you had that, that previous connection, and I don't want to dive too deep into, into your personal life, but to, based on Team Jack's mission, how did that kind of match up with your, with your overall feelings and experiences coming in? Yeah, so I actually lost one of my best friends to glioblastoma back in 2017. And so Team Jack's mission really just um, – aligned with my values and what I want to do for not only pediatric cancer but also brain cancer and just bring awareness um, because it's very underfunded um, and just not talked about quite enough. Callan, so you, you mentioned how you got involved. What exactly is your role with Team Jack and, and how do you help out with their mission of, of trying to bring some more awareness and fundraising to, to pediatric cancers? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, number one, I just get wonderful opportunities like this. Um, being a Nebraska athlete in this state um, brings you a great platform, and I just want to use that for the greater good. And so with that, I'm able to attend um, different events um, and be a speaker and also do a ton of their um, radiothons just to promote, promote their cause. It, you know, it's an inspiring story. I would I went and uh, attended the Team Jack Gala last year, and just seeing the amount of support that the organization brings is incredible in itself, but also just the player support across the board. What does it mean to you to be a part of that umbrella of whether it's former players or current athletes that is supporting a cause like this? Yeah, absolutely. I just think it's so incredible. Um, at the end of the day, all of our sports come to an end, um, but unfortunately, we currently don't have a cure to cancer, and so that's something that's going to be ongoing. So if we can use our platform for a greater cause and hopefully one day um, pray, praying for a cure, um, that's truly what we're here to do, and our sport's just a bonus. We're talking with Callan Hake. She is a member of the Nebraska women's basketball team as well as a representative for the Team Jack Foundation. Um, Callan, I'm curious, you're, you're from Minnesota, you're from kind of Big Ten country. Uh, how did you end up deciding you wanted to come play basketball at Nebraska? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like the saying, like, there's no place like Nebraska really hit home when I came on my first visit here. And I truly just, like, fell in love with the coaching staff. But this university does a great job. Um, you're more than an athlete here. And I'm very content with the ball stops bouncing someday. 
and I need to be set up for success outside of sport. And this university and uh, this coaching staff here at Nebraska um, really sealed the deal. You mentioned the coaching staff. Um, Amy Williams has been incredible um, for for this program, and um, just just seeing how how Nebraska women's basketball has been elevated year after year. Um, some pretty good players on this team as well. And I, I want to kind of ask this question in connection to Team Jack, and or you know maybe a variety of other. Um, charities that that you guys may be connected with is this something that is just a you thing you're connected with team jack or are there other athletes um on this team that were previously involved and then that's how you got involved too yeah that's a great question so i actually had to go out of the team to get connected with team jack um i originally saw it with a ton of our football guys are involved um with team jack and so I was connected outside of it um, with Kate Frazier, who runs our life skills. And then quickly, how important is your involvement um, to, to just to you? Like, just how, how important is it? Maybe, maybe not just to you, but for you to spread the awareness for other people to get involved. Yeah, absolutely. It is so important to me um, just to know that these families aren't going through it alone, that they have our prayers and hopefully also their finance, some financial help, and that we're just praying for a cure, but also fundraising for a cure, um, and just being able to come alongside of them and hopefully bring some joy and light um, in such a dark and uncertain time. It really just holds a near and dear um, spot in my heart, and I'm just grateful that I get to be a part of Team Jack. All right, Callan, before we let you go here, I do have to ask, uh, so I know that you were the Nebraska women's basketball lifter of the year for this year. Oh, heck yeah. Uh, what is, what is your favorite, like what's your favorite lift? Like I was, I was a power lifter for a little, for a little while. Like what's your favorite lift when you're getting in your workouts in? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I love front squat. I absolutely love the pain. I'll say, Oh, you're a sicko. You're a sicko. Yeah. <laughs> I love the feeling of that accomplishment. <laughs> You've obviously got more flexible shoulders than I do. I could barely even get the bar on my shoulders like that. Uh, no, that's yes. awesome, though. Um, that's uh, uh, impressive with all the work you've been putting in, not only in the weight room, obviously, but uh, on the basketball court. And yeah, with the only thing I lift is my beanery coffee in the morning. <laughs> that's about it. And with uh, Team Jack as well. Uh, Callan, before we let you go, is there if other people want to get involved with Team Jack, how can they do that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, just go to the Team Jack Foundation um, on your smartphone, and there's a wonderful website where you can donate, hear about the cause, and see some events that you can get um, involved with. We're always looking for more volunteers and just to help these family know that they're not going through it alone. That's Callan Hake. She is a member of the Nebraska women's basketball team, a uh, full-fledged sicko when it comes to the front squats, but uh, a, uh, a great member of Team Jack Foundation as well. Callan, we appreciate your time. Thanks so much, you guys. Thanks, Callan. That's Callan Hake. She is a sophomore guard for Nebraska women's basketball involved in the Team Jack Foundation, um, as so many Nebraska athletes, both mm -hmm. past and present, are. 
um, man, front squats. That's that's wild. If yeah, you not only that, the women's basketball <sighs> team and their success this year is has been wild. Absolutely, yeah. They're uh, eight and two on the season on a four game winning streak, um, playing some good basketball. I gotta say though, front squats. Front squats. If front squats are your favorite I, lift, dude, front squats are so hard. Like you you, you enjoy some like, like there's some pain. Like, I remember when I was first getting into oh, like, they're terrible. CrossFit lifting. Oh, front squats are the worst. Back squats, I'd be like, all right, yeah, I'm going to throw some like 45s on the bar. Some, then I would like go up to like another because I, I couldn't lift. Like, I mean, you look at me. <laughs> I, I don't lift like Ravi used to lift. Uh, but I could get two 45s on both ends. And then, you know, at one point I got three 45s okay. on both ends, which was pretty good yeah, for me. Yeah, that's good. But then you go to front squats, and it's like 225s <laughs> on both ends. And that's it. I, like, that's, like, all I could ever do. I can't even, like, I legit, I wasn't kidding. Like, my my shoulders are so, like, immobile. Like, I could bear, I had to use. Yeah, because what do they tell you to do? Like, get your elbows. Yeah, they, um, they want you to, like, they want you to, like, throw like your shoulder, elbows through. Like, shoulder I, width I to the bar. Even, I can't even do that. I would have to use, I'd have to use lifting straps, and then I'd hold the straps <laughs> to keep the bar in place. Um, it's a little, little cheat code that I People learned. People underestimate, like, it looks easy. Easier oh, it's than it actually so is. So hard. I like if anybody who knows knows that people that love front squats are are like nut jobs, full on sickos. That's why <laughs> she knew as soon as I said it. She knew. You heard her laugh. Well, because she goes, I like the she like the pain. <laughs> she, she said, I like the idea of putting on the weight and then looking at the bar and being like, Yeah, I'm about to do this. That's essentially <laughs> yeah. what she said. It's a challenge. That's what she enjoys. It's so cha- and it you know good on her because she's got more mental tough toughness than I do for and, sure. And that's why she's playing a sport right now at the uh, Division One collegiate level, and we uh, are not. TK says, gotta love front squats. Only us sickos love front squats. That's right, TK. That's a, uh, that's right. Corey says, every time I front squat, I can barely walk That's That's day. more up yeah. my alley, They're brutal. Corey. They're, that's, that's more they're me. They're brutal. Um, yeah, it, TK, Ravi, Callen. Oh, no, I'm, crazy I'm not interested in the front squats. Oh, okay, I, I, never mind. Yeah. So TK and Callen are the crazy yeah. ones, and uh, Corey, I vibe with that right there. Because <laughs> yeah. so I can barely walk after a weekend of refing. <laughs> so I know front squats will put me out for at least two days. Man, it's been a uh, you know it's it's kind of a a stark contrast when I realize like what takes me out after after uh, you know a couple days of being more active versus what I used to do, and I'm like, oh god, those years are coming fast. Hey, also, <laughs> no joke, and I'm I'm kind of a car snob. But uh, right now, Team Jack has a an enter to win a 1972 Chevy con- Corvette convertible. Oh yeah, and it looks sick. It does look. It's sick. It's a Stingray, and oh my goodness, Whew. is this thing is this thing something I'll be entering to win? Oh, absolutely. It and is. when I know it goes to a great cause. Give me 65 tickets. I'll donate 100 bucks. <laughs> it's better than so that. So is that like gotta love vets? Only us sickos love vets. <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. I don't, I don't think they're the same thing. It's not the same thing. I don't really know what's vets happening and, there. Vets and squats. Uh, Unless you mean the uh, veterans. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about, Shane. Um, he's, yeah. he's meaning Corvettes. Go check out uh, Team Jack Foundation. Uh, it's teamjackfoundation.org to find out more. And uh, go under events. You can sign up to win that 72 Corvette that our, uh, our guy Andrew Rogers was just telling you about as we uh, enter information. Ravi, do you have a credit card that I can use? Uh, not on the air. Oh. We are going to talk to Steve <laughs> Wiltfong next. He is the director of recruiting for 24-7 Sports here on Herd at Sports Radio.
You're listening to Hurt at Sports Radio. Things you wanted us to get to from the weekend, but we didn't. Clean up on aisle six. It's the sports cleanup. Welcome into the Warhorse Sportsbook Sports Cleanup here on Hurt at Sports Radio. Ravi Lula, Andrew Rogers here with you. Hello. We are on AM 590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities, and KFOR in Lincoln. As we get kicked off with this sports cleanup, a little bit of breaking high school news here around the metro. Miller North has named Alan Burrell, Miller North's head coach, uh, this upcoming season. So a little bit of breaking news there. Uh, but there's a lot of other stuff that was going on this weekend that uh, we haven't quite got to yet. First, and I mean, we're going to get to Shohei Otani with Steve Gardner, so I don't want to get into him too much here. Um, but just your initial thoughts, I don't think the Dodgers part was too surprising. I know a lot of the tea leaves had been pointing to the Blue Jays, and those fans lost their ever-loving minds. Uh, when it came out that he was going to the Dodgers. Not just that he was going to the Dodgers, but we talked about this on Friday. You go, oh, man, there's planes going here. And mm-hmm. I was like, you know where the planes are. You don't know who's on them. Mm-hmm. Turns out it was not Shohei Otani on those planes to well, Toronto. He could have been, been on, <laughs> on the plane, um, but uh, it, it may not have been to sign a deal. Uh, it's just, I mean, of all the teams, man, Dodgers like I mean it makes sense though he didn't didn't want to move (laughs) I know but we talk about the Dodgers all the time in as the team that just ends up getting everybody yeah like they build they build this so-called super team which good for them good for them for doing yeah and uh, that's a part of not having a salary cap in, in, in baseball. But, you know, if they're going to spend the money, you might as well spend the money in ways like this. Um, but, man, why couldn't another team just step up to the dish and say, no, it's going to be me? Now, how many other teams are offering $700 million? Because the price tag was $600 million. At least that's what was being reported. So there could be, like, the Giants out there that offered six hundred. dollars The Toronto Blue Jays could have offered six hundred and fifty million, and then the Dodgers just swoop in and offer seven hundred. And, um, you know, good, good for them. If you got to buck up to get who you want. I've been saying that with Nebraska. Yes. you got to do that, too, in Major League Baseball. You want the best player in baseball, you go about doing it that way. But how laughable is it, man, that the Angels got absolutely nothing in return for Shohei Otani? You had every opportunity to trade him midseason. Yeah, at the deadline. And yeah. you had every opportunity to re-sign him when he became a free agent. Yeah. Yet they didn't pull the trigger. Yeah. You didn't get any pieces, like no sort of pieces in return. You could have traded him to a, a team that was making a playoff run. Mm-hmm. Let's just say the Atlanta Braves. You could have gotten prospects in return for him, whether it was two, three, four. You could have gotten a, 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 a named guy right now that could slot in and be your, you know, third baseman because Anthony Rendon can't stay healthy. <laughs> and boom, you have pieces now yeah. to where then you go back into the offseason and say, hey, Shohei, remember how we made this like uh, this deal to move you here? Now we have all these guys to build a, a, to be competitive. a playoff team. Yeah. How about you come on, come on back home and do it with us? But no, they, the Angels did angel things, yeah. decided to hold on to them, and then got nothing in return. And, dude, that is a wasteland. For Major League Baseball players, you go there to die. 
Yeah, it's a. I mean, it's a, it's a it's a dumpster fire of a franchise. If you can't win anything with Trout and Otani on your team, I just you're not going to win anything probably in the near future or the distant future or any time at all. It, it's a it's a poorly run franchise for sure. I I, I do want to kind of focus on the Otani part of it here a little bit though because I don't know that that's like I, I understand how good Shohei Otani is. I don't know how good of a signing this is for the Dodgers because I get that they're deferring some of the money so the tax implications aren't mm-hmm. as aggressive. Which isn't uncommon. We've seen deals with Scherzer. I mean, Betts and Freeman did deals like that with the Dodgers to avoid competitive tax balance. So, like, it's something that they've been doing, but I'm you're committing so much money to a guy who at the end of this deal is going to be 40, mm-hmm. has had a really hard time staying healthy as is, uh, and sure, he can still DH and stuff while he's going through. Uh, cause, but he's not going to pitch till 2025. Right. And how you're paying him to pitch and hit. Yeah, you're that's not paying 700 him million. Just to hit. 700 million is for the, the combo deal, right? Like, you're not paying 700 million for DH Shohei Otani. You're not paying 700 million for just pitcher Shohei and this Otani. This is the second Tommy John surgery. And so you know wear and tear on the body, what that can do. Now, maybe he'll be like Nick Chubb. And no matter what lower body injury hits yeah, Nick Chubb, he'll still go. play football and, and be 100% but the wear and tear on, on somebody's arm, like a, yeah. a major league pitcher's arm, a guy that's throwing 98, 99 consecutively, five other, f- like five days off, you do it, five days off, you do it, and he's doing it for nine innings, like Shohei doesn't come out of games. Shohei gets seven to nine innings. Yeah. And he's striking guys out, which means he's going like high deep pitch into counts. ball games, yeah. and he's got high pitch count. Yeah, I just I, – I don't know – and listen, if the Red Sox had signed him, I'd have been thrilled. Like, I'm not going to pretend like that. I'm not. But if they had signed him for $700 million, I'd, I'd have gotten a little queasy. I'd have been like, uh, I, don't, I don't know how I feel about that. I, you know, if you don't care about the, 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 the payroll implications, the tap, tax implications, whatever, that's totally fine. I just look at that and I go, man, you could get a lot of really good players for $700 million. Mm-hmm. That you I could mean, build a really, really you're strong You're talking team. like three or four superstars. That's for why I'm interested to know what the deferrals actually are. Yeah. How much is he getting paid per season? Because what it looks like on paper is one year, $70 million. Yeah, which and I each know season. is not the case. I just don't know what – they said all I heard was Jeff Passan reported – I think either most or a majority. So you have to figure it's less than 35 a year that he's getting. I don't know what that number actually is, but man, they are, you're putting a lot of eggs in one basket and it's kind of been a fragile basket. So I don't, I just, I just, you have to say but he's it. worth it right now. And that's how you if have he's, to, if he's healthy, he's worth it. Right, right. And if he, you have to but take into consideration. Betting on him being healthy for, how long you have to get what seven of those ten years at a high level for it to be worth it? Like you can eat two or three on the back mm-hmm. end and feel okay, but you probably have to get seven good years out of him, which means one of those years pitching next year is already evaporated because he's not pitching next year. So you got to ask him to be a quality pitcher through 37, 38 years old. It's a it's a big ask. Listen again, if the Red Sox had signed him, I'd have been thrilled. But as you can remove yourself from the situation, you look at it and go, man. That's a lot of money. Yeah, but did you want to see him on the Dodgers? No, like, I no. I, Blue Jays would have been more fun. Yeah, but take the Red Sox out of the equation. I'll take the Cardinals out of the equation. I think Blue Jays would have been more fun. Out of all the teams, yeah. Like I think I'd, I think I would have been more okay with him being a Yankee. Ooh, I, uh, I'll pass on the Yankees. See, I think I would have been more okay with that than I, the Dodgers. 
Now, granted, I have to see the Dodgers more than I yes. see the Yankees. Yeah. But still, it's just the Dodgers being able to get everybody and anybody and whenever they want to, which they spend to get them. So, d- again, don't get me wrong. Right. They, they, there's a reason that they get guys like that. It's just like, man, like, why couldn't you be a uh, – I, I don't want to say, like, a Rocky because, like, you know – Honestly, I think it would have been Rockies. super fun if he had gone to either the Orioles or the Blue Jays. Right, like a team that Which is, is in playoff contention as a young Would core. be crappy for me because I'd have to face him all the time as an opponent as a, uh, as a Red Sox fan, but – like a, a or like Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks are really young. They're really competitive. Like one of those teams that kind of built from within and he'd sort of be just the cherry on top of what they've done, they've done would have been a lot cooler. We'll have to see though if if pitching doesn't hold up, you're going to have to get use out of him in the field what in some way shape yes. or form. And that that's, which would put him in the outfield most likely. Yeah. And which is not going to be any easier he, on the arm. Can he route run? Like yeah. that, that's really what I, I'm, I'm curious about. You put him in right field, that's that's where he's going to have to go. But is he somebody that can read a ball off the wall? Is he somebody that can chase down a ball into, a, into the corner and not allow a player to go from second to third? Those we, are things to think about. We can ask all those questions of Steve Gardner from USA Today. Coming up next. You're listening to Hurt at Sports Radio. Next pitch swings at that one and lifts a high drive to dead center field. It's well hit, and this ball is out of here. Otani has just hit a home run. Here's the next delivery, and Shohei lifts a high fly ball. It's hit well out into left center, and that one is out of here. Boy, oh boy, this... Thursday afternoon in Detroit has been showtime as Otani connects 37th home run of the season. It's 5-0 Angels. Wrapping up the show here on Herd at Sports Radio on AM 590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities, and KFOR in Lincoln. I'm Ravi Lula. Andrew Rogers here with me as well. And we are joined now on the War Horse Sportsbook Hotline by Steve Gardner. He covers baseball for the USA Today. Uh, just a reminder, Warhorse Sportsbook, the best place in Nebraska to place your sports bet, either at the casino in Lincoln or at Horseman's Park here in Omaha. Steve, how are you this morning? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Good, we Steve. are doing terrific. You know, uh, always good to talk baseball in the middle of December here. Big and uh, our guy Shohei Otani gave us uh, plenty of reason to do so uh the dodgers gave him plenty of reasons to stay in los angeles um i guess so the, mo- the thing that i'm most curious about this deal steve is do you have any indication that other teams were in the neighborhood of what he ended up getting or did the dodgers kind of get played here uh i i don't think so um i mean there was some momentum at least uh, at some part over the weekend to feel like the Blue Jays were a, at least a serious bidder in all of this. But the Dodgers are the ones that have the financial wherewithal to blow anybody out of the water. And, uh, and they were going – if the Blue Jays went to 700, I think the Dodgers would have gone to 800 million. <laughs> you know, it was one of those types of things. So uh, they were not letting him go. It, it seems like the Dodgers had, had made this a strategy for several years in advance in waiting for him to become a free agent, and it was just a matter of time until they closed the deal. 
Steve, how did the Angels move on from Shohei? Like, what what is Mike Trout's future? What's the future of that team? And is do you ever envision the Angels actually having star players on this team and making a playoff run? Yeah, I, I don't know. It's uh, when you when you have Trout and Otani on the same team, and you can't make the playoffs. Uh, that that says a lot for your roster construction, and I, you know. I know that Perry Manasian, the uh, the GM there, said that he was not going to trade Mike Trout. I think if you're the Angels and you have any chance of getting back to the playoffs anytime soon, maybe you have to reconsider that because, I mean, he takes up such a huge chunk of the payroll that they're willing to spend. And, you know, he's he's been hurt. The injuries have hurt the team and not having him on the field while still paying him, you know, a, a huge amount of money helps you know, or doesn't help at all. Uh, you construct the rest of the team around him to be competitive, and, and especially with what we've seen with the, you know, the Angels and the Astros um, and the Mariners, those teams are, are always going to be pretty good, at least for the next few years. It's a, it's a very tall order to get the Angels back to the postseason. We're talking with Steve Gardner of USA Today, a baseball writer. Steve, what does this mean for the Dodgers in terms of, and you know, they've they've kind of had some early exits. They've been a little bit frustrated with those, I know. Um, what does this mean for them and their ability to get over that hump and, and make it further into the playoffs? Well, one thing it doesn't help, at least for this season, is it doesn't help the problem they have with starting pitching. Mm-hmm. And that's what they really need to address. And they're, you know, they're in the mix for Yoshinobu Yamamoto, who is the number one free agent that's now left on the market after Otani's side. But there are also uh, several other highly motivated suitors for him as well. So I think the Dodgers, one of the things that they have still an advantage is that they have a very deep farm system. So it may not be that uh, you know they flex more financial muscle. Uh, it may be that they go the trade route and, mm. and maybe trade from some of that strength in their farm system to get a Dylan Cease or, or you know somebody along Corbin Burns or somebody like that to be able to front the rotation because they're not going to have Clayton Kershaw um, because he's you know not going to be healthy until midseason. And I think he's still a free agent anyway, so they need to re-sign him. But I think that would be easy enough. But you've got Walker Bueller coming back. Maybe he's your number one guy, but he missed all of last year. Uh, Bobby Miller looked good last year, but he's a rookie. Ryan Pepio, also a rookie. I mean, you've got to go pretty deep. Emmett Sheehan, also another rookie from last year. Mm -hmm. You've got to go pretty deep. And after that, there's not a whole lot there. So the Dodgers definitely have uh, a starting pitching problem that they'll need to address the rest of this offseason. Steve, that's not the only move that has been made this offseason. Some other big names have uh, been on the market, and that one being Juan Soto, and he made his way to New York. He now fills out that Yankees outfield that also got Verdugo in a deal with the Red Sox. So now you have Judge, Verdugo, you have Soto, you can keep Stanton in that DH role. If they can get healthy pitching, because as you were just talking about with the Dodgers, what they need is healthy pitching in New York. Where do you see the Yankees going this season? 
Yeah, I, I think the Yankees have a, a definite contender there. I mean, Garrett Cole, obviously, Cy Young winner at the top of the rotation, is a great foundational piece. But you mentioned the health. You know, Carlos Rodon has to be healthy. Nestor Cortez has to be healthy. And the Yankees are going to be players on the free agent market and, the, and possibly the trade market um, uh, this offseason. So they're looking, you know, at possibly Yamamoto and some other guys that are free agents. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think the Yankees certainly want to be a player um, and, you know, not being in the World Series mix, you know, not having a championship for this storied franchise since 2009. You know, Brian Cashman's under a lot of heat to produce. And um, I, I know we kind of, seems like we say that every year for the last few years, uh, but, uh, but I think it's really true this time. And now that he has made the trade for Juan Soto, you know, that is a that is certainly a plus for him. It makes the Yankees a much stronger team offensively, and now he's just got to you know, find a way to win in one of the toughest divisions in baseball. We're talking with Steve Gardner of USA Today. Steve, a couple of the big names on the move. You already mentioned Juan Soto and Shohei Otani. Uh, you mentioned the free agent market a little bit. Do you see any other potential big names on the move this offseason? Um, I, it sounds like the Brewers aren't going to move Corbin Burns, and, and that's probably uh, a smart move, I guess, for them. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I'd like to see some more of these uh, the dominoes in the free agent world, uh, you know, fall, and then we can start thinking more along the lines of trades. Um, you know, Lucas Giolito might be a guy that, that some teams will, would look as a high upside guy that maybe you know they could get for a discounted price since he didn't have such a huge season last year um it's usually we see the winter meeting sort of kick things off and with otani not signing it was one of the strangest winter meetings i think we've seen in the last several years and uh and that's one of the things it's hard to say what comes next i think is, is the big thing so in terms of, of having a crystal ball, that's, that's not my specialty. Um, it, it's more along the lines of, of seeing what happens and then going uh, with what we know for certain rather than speculating. Uh, well, something that we've seen play out, and, and you know, we mentioned the, the Yankees and their moves with Soto and Verdugo. That Verdugo trade more or less kind of closes the book on the Mookie Betts and Dodgers-Red Sox mm -hmm. trade. Um, is that trade an F or an F minus for the Red Sox in <laughs> retrospect? <laughs> yes, uh, it's it's no longer incomplete for sure. And, uh, yes, F F, F minus minus. I was gonna wow. say it, can, it really can't get any worse. Like it's a generationally yeah. bad trade, right? Exactly, exactly. And we see that you know how he is. Betts has flourished with the Dodgers. The Red Sox are left with with nothing except some payroll flexibility, you know. Oh, thank God, which good. they've used to great uh, to, to to great success. <laughs> exactly, and uh, so, I'm not bitter. Uh, I'm not bitter. It's fine. It's it's not not a uh, not a bright spot in in Boston's uh, history, storied history. But um, yeah, it's it's something you've got to you got to move on. You've got to look ahead, and if if you're Boston again the toughest division of all of baseball and you're looking up <laughs> it's it's not getting much better so um yeah they get the red sox did get tyler o'neill though i mean yeah they did they're trying they're trying <laughs> they're adding players 
and uh, and maybe he can find what made him so successful in St. Louis, um, uh, hitting off balls off that uh, green monster. Hey, Steve, quickly here. Got about a minute left. I, I have to selfishly ask about the Cardinals now because you brought them up. They got old and uh, will stay old in the starting <laughs> pitching department, although there, there are some big names there. Lance Lynn comes back. Uh, you obviously had uh, Sonny Gray. Uh, what did you make of what the Cardinals have done so far to improve the starting rotation? Well, I think Sonny Gray is certainly a, uh, a huge get for them, um, and he will give some stability. You, you kind of feel like he will be that number one guy that, that they've kind of been lacking for a while, I guess, since, since maybe Jack Flaherty's big year. But, you know, John Lezalak went out and said he needed to get three starting pitchers, and he did it, you know, before the end of the calendar year. So it's a feather in their cap. They know what they have now, and they can go and look for improvements elsewhere. I think it's a good offseason already for the Cardinals. That's Steve Gardner. He covers baseball for USA Today. Steve, thanks so much for your time, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Appreciate it. Sounds good, guys. Thanks, Steve. That's Steve Gardner on the Warhorse Sportsbook Hotline. That's all for the show today. That's Andrew Rogers. I'm Robbie Lula. We will be back with more Hurt at Sports Radio tomorrow.